welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by SteadyMD. I've been using this company for the past year and I love them. Here's how it works. Instead of having a primary doctor that you have to make an appointment to see, wait for hours in the office to visit, you can now have your doctor available whenever you need him or her through your phone. SteadyMD has a staff of doctors who are available via call, text, or video chat whenever you need them so they respond quickly and they already know your medical history. You get paired with a single doctor so you can work with them as a long-term partner for your health. They're well-versed in lab testing, preventative health, and functional medicine, and they are great for those random, obscure, off-hours medical questions so you don't have to run to urgent care. You can check them out and see if they are right for you by visiting steadymd.com forward slash WM. That's S-T-E-A-D-Y-M-D.com forward slash WM. They do have limited spots available, so I check them out quickly if you're interested. This podcast is brought to you by Soul Organics. These are some of my favorite sheets in the world, and here's why. We spend about a third of our life sleeping, so our sleep environment is a really big deal. And that is why I prioritize organic sheets and bedding and organic pajamas for my kids. Because some kinds of bedding can contain plastic fibers and even pesticide residue from non-organic natural fibers. But Soul Organics uses 100% fair trade organic cotton to make super soft, luxurious sheets at an affordable price. They also donate $7.50 to charity with every purchase made on their site. And right now, they are offering a special deal just for listeners of this podcast. You can get 20% off of your purchase plus free shipping in the U.S. by using the code wellness20, all lowercase, wellness20 at soulorganics.com forward slash wellnessmama. And that is spelled S-O-L-O-R-G-A-N-I-X.com forward slash wellness mama and make sure to use that code wellness 20 to save 20%. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Moms podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and have you ever been stretched out as a parent? Because maybe you're the mom who has it all together and stays calm all the time, but I am not and that is precisely why I invited today's guest, Heather Shalvin from the Mom is in Control podcast. Heather has been named one of the next generation's thought leaders in parenting and women's leadership, and her mission is to crack women open to their deep potential and to help us understand and decode our children's behavior. She's a TEDx speaker, and as I mentioned, the creator of the Mom is in Control podcast, and today we are going to jump into all things motherhood, parenting, and everything else that comes up. So Heather, welcome, and thanks for being here. Katie, thank you so much. This is, I love having these conversations. I think they're so important. And I had the chance to watch your TED Talk. So I know a little bit of your story, but I think we absolutely have to start there because your story is pretty profound. So um, to begin, give everyone an idea of where you're coming from and how this became your path. Yes. So it definitely didn't become a path because I dreamed it. And I said, this is exactly what I want to happen. (laughs) That's not how we manifest, right? Sometimes there's a journey to get there. So the whole reason why what I do is around motherhood is because it was really what cracked me open. It didn't matter how much you have your shit together. Can I say shit by the way? Yeah, you can. Okay, good. You can keep that in there. <laughs> like, can I say it? Can I can I be me, which is part of the problem, right? Can I can I be who I really am as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, as a a creative being. Um, so my son, I have three boys. They're 13, eight, and five. And when I became a mother 13 years ago, I remember looking at my son thinking, I need to change. Something needs to change. I can't, he's not going to become anything if I'm not willing to do the work. So I need to show up. And the best way I knew how to do that was just kind of not put my head down, but just he was my drive. He was my why. And so as I kept evolving and changing and kind of thinking more outside of the box, what I noticed was when he was around four or five years old, I became, um, well, I was a social worker at the time. And my soul, as I, I always say, the soul aches, the breadcrumbs, my soul was screaming at me that I couldn't like be that person. I couldn't work in that job for 30 years. I just couldn't. I could see my soul was just slowly leaving my body, but yet, you know, this voice inside of me saying, Heather, 
<clears throat> you went to school for this. This is what everybody does. You are, you are checking the boxes off. This is exactly where you need to be. Stop trying to overcomplicate it. Everybody else is miserable. Everyone hates their lives. Everyone, um, you know, always complains they don't have enough money or energy or time or whatever. But yet there was this part of me that kept saying, no, 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 no. There has to be more. So when my son was five and he started um, with anger and anxiety and I couldn't really understand what his behavior was telling me, I had this aha moment. I said, okay, Heather, you went to school. You have a degree in psychology and children's mental health and you work with families um, who are struggling and you do not know how to solve this problem. No strategy in a parenting book is going to help you here. Went to the doctors, pediatricians, therapists, you could name it. Oh, Heather, it's just a phase. It's just a phase. And that is when I found meditation for my son. And when I found meditation for my son, because, you know, he needed to meditate, he needed to be quiet, he needed to be calm. Uh, what I was really projecting within myself was I did not feel in control of my own anger or anxiety. Therefore, that is how I didn't know how to help him. So then fast forward, what I talked about in my TEDx talk, Dying to Be a Good Mother, was I was hustling. I was hustling. I was go, 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 trying to build my business because I decided I'm going to leave my corporate job and, you know, be the mom and be the business owner and the wife and the friend and everything else. And I don't have time for myself. And what happened was, um, and I'm not claiming to be a physician here or anything was my body went into burnout. I was in a crisis phase because I neglected my own needs. I barely ate because who has time for that? I definitely didn't work out. I opened my eyes when, you know, my middle son would bounce on top of me because he would just open his eyes in the morning and was full of energy. Uh, so I was angry. My nervous system was overreactive. I was in stress response constantly. And, you know, on the outside, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, you're super mom. You can do it all. Um, because, you know, when you have a nice shade of lipstick and a clean T-shirt, people think somehow that you have your shit together. Um, and I went to the hospital because my husband finally made me go to the hospital because I even left the first time thinking, why? I don't deserve to be here. I'm not bleeding. I have no broken bones. I can handle this discomfort that I'm in because I had mild back pain and abdominal bloating. And I said it like that. I was like, oh, I'm just here for mild back pain and abdominal bloating. And on the spot, they did a CT and blood work. And within two hours, Katie, they told me I had cancer. And in that moment, I already knew. It was like my body was giving me confirmation of something that I was running away from. And it cracked me open. Um, so I thought, okay, there's four stages of cancer. Okay, yeah, it's just stage one, like, we'll figure this out. I can still hustle and burn myself out. But like Heather, you have a rapid growing stage four cancer. If you don't stop what you're doing right now and get treatment ASAP, you're not going to make it through the weekend. Um, they didn't say it there, but when I went for my follow-up, cause I of course was resistant to chemo and I'm like, no, 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 I'll just drink my green juices and I'll solve this problem. Cause that's what everyone tells you in the holistic world. Um, and they're like, yeah, that might work for some, but not this, this is rapid growing. This is ridiculous. And I didn't have time to do my research. I didn't have time to gather $50,000. There goes my dog. I didn't have time to gather $50,000 and fly to Mexico to some crazy retreat. I didn't have time to do research. I had to surrender. And that is a whole nother story. Yeah, I think that word surrender is probably one of the toughest for a lot of women, especially I can only speak for myself, but being a perfectionist and type A, or I should say recovering perfectionist uh, and still very type A. And I think something you highlighted, I want to get into parenting, but first I think we should go deeper on women and self-care because for whatever reason, I think we are wired um, because we care probably deeply about our families, obviously, we are wired to take care of everyone else. And 
taking care of ourselves is potentially the hardest thing I think we face as women because we it's very difficult to make ourselves a priority. At least I know that is for me. And it's so easy to prioritize our children and what they need and our husbands and what they need and our business and what it needs. Um, so like, talk about that. Talk about your journey to self-care because that alone is a huge journey. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out a different word for self-care because and self-love because it's kind of has become cliche in the personal development world and it doesn't even do it justice. So I'm going to give you an example. I always talk about high leverage tasks and my journey. So it's been almost five years. My journey five years ago for self-care or self whatever was self-respect, self-whatever, um, boundaries, all of that fun stuff people talk about was I needed to figure out how I wanted to feel. Danielle Laporte talks about this all the time in the desire map. And I know a lot of other people do as well. So I, I knew I didn't want to die and I didn't want to be depleted. And I was kind of just done with my own bullshit. And, you know, I felt like somebody plopped me in a different culture and they're like, figure it out, Heather. So I had to ask myself, what do I want? How do I want to feel? Because I knew what I didn't want. Because I was experiencing it. I was living it. So I said, I want to feel alive and energized. Those were just two things that I picked up. Alive and energized. So I'm like, well, what does it mean to be alive? Like, I don't actually... Like, when's the last time I actually felt alive? And I had to think about it. And I, I couldn't even think of a chime in my childhood when I felt alive. Which is pretty sad. So you can tell that this trauma and this belief goes back into childhood. Um, I think as women, we are raised like this, like I'm raising three boys and I watch people who are raising girls and I see the ex how the expectation is culturally just different. The boys can be quote unquote lazy and girls need to clean the house. They need to do this. They need to do that. So teaching my boys, these domestic chores is not, you know, I'm trying to reinvent the wheel here or trying to go against the current. So I'm like, what does it mean to be alive? Well, I'm like, who do, like who around me looks alive? And it was typically the people that were fun, adventure seekers, always on vacation, always like active. So I'm like, okay, maybe paddle boarding. Okay, I'll try that. Maybe going for a hike. And for a really, really long time, I couldn't feel any of this stuff. I really couldn't. I'm like, I'm hiking or I'm paddle boarding. I'm like, this is kind of stupid. When is this going to be over? Because I was so numb to joy so numb to joy and then energized. Well, when the social expectation is to feel depleted all the time, and that's a badge of honor as a mother, like the more exhausted you are, you know, the gold, the bigger, the gold star. Um, one, I had to really combat that limiting belief that I needed to be tired in order to be a good mom or a successful parent, quote unquote. And, um, I just started asking myself, what is going to energize me? And slowly I started shifting my food to more energizing things rather than eating or drinking 20 cups of coffee that gave me gut rot and made me want to puke by the end of the day and actually, you know, screwed up my hormones. I'm like, okay, drink your green juice, drink your, you know, vegetables, like real food that came from the earth. Um, I mean, night and day, I'm night and day now from where I used to be, but something like working out, okay, taking 20 minutes, 30 minutes for yourself to work out. Um, that has always been a mindset shift, but realizing the more energy I have, the more I can give to my children, the more I can give to my work, the more I can contribute to my clients. And the more I do that and the more I generate and the more, um, you know, as that momentum grows, I can make a bigger difference in the world. So a lot of times when people come to me and they're working with me in my my mastery, my soul elite program, what happens is, you know, I talk about this in the TEDx talk, the sustainable ambition model. So we have um, like, what is it? Survival mode. And then we have the momentum phase. And then we have thrival state. And then there's this, you know, creative abundance that happens. And you can jump in and out of each state. But what happens is your soul might have, you know, the thrival or the creative abundant desires and dreams. So you're like, I want to I want to make a big impact in the world or I want to travel the world or all of these things. But yet, you know, 
you're exhausted and you don't even remember the last time you got a good night's sleep or your bank account is drained or, you know, you're so mean to yourself or you let people walk all over you or you're constantly yelling at your kids. And so we have to start where we're at. Your soul is always going to give you these little breadcrumbs. It's always going to give you like what I call downloads. It's going to give you that vision, but we have to start where you're at. And sometimes we need to slow down to speed up. So that's a really long explanation for your question. I think that's so great. And it sounds like for you, like obviously cancer was a huge wake up call as it is for, I'm sure anybody who, who has that diagnosis. And I, my hope is that most of the people listening never have to experience that. Um, but from your TED talk and from what I've read on your site, that was a big wake up call for you, but it also was a wake up call. Like you've touched on a little bit with parenting and how you interacted with your children. So I'd love for you to go deeper on that and explain, well, first of all, explain how you recovered because you're obviously here with us now. Um, but also how that then transferred into other areas of your life. So, so I was talking to a friend the other day and she had a similar health experience to me, she goes, I'm starting to attract people who want to know what I did, want to know how I recovered. Um, because she never, I did, I ended up doing chemo. She did not. And she didn't do radiation or anything like that. Um, I'm all about integrative medicine, but I will tell you the stories. And when I say stories, what I mean is the beliefs, the mindset, the crap I used to tell myself in the head. Um, about Western medicine was very negative. I see like there's two parties of like Western and Eastern and we live in a Western culture, but yet we have this, you know, we're grabbing onto this uh, holistic ideology, but we're not living an Eastern lifestyle. So I had to really surrender to part of that. Um, I didn't know if I was going to live or not, to be honest with you. And there's this paradox, this weird place that you live in when you're crying in fetal position on the bathroom floor and your whole body is telling you you're going to die. And what I mean by that is you're paralyzed in fear and fear is like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. My gut did not think that, but I couldn't listen to my intuition. I couldn't allow that to guide me because fear was just all consuming. So, and I wouldn't, I didn't want to cry in front of my children. Um, all the time. I did cry in front of them. I did let them see that I was vulnerable, but I, I tried to hold my own. I didn't want to be like, Oh my God, you guys need to take care of me. It was more of like, look, mom is real. She has tears. She's scared, but I'll figure this out. And we're all screwed up and that's okay. <laughs> we'll figure this out together. Um, but what I kept doing was just asking myself, what do I need today? What do I need today? And just slowly and steadily figuring that out. And I kept telling myself that if this is my last Christmas with my children, because I was diagnosed four days before Christmas, I need to live in the moment and, and I'm going to feel alive and I'm going to do whatever I possibly can, because even though I don't have hope or I have to have hope and faith that the future is going to be here, but if it's not, um, that's okay. So I remember, um, doing, integrative medicine and getting vitamin uh, C IV infusions in my arms um, three times a week. And it was like 600 bucks a week. And I remember um, we had to, so this is a, you want to talk about a big parenting moment. I remember we had to sell our pop-up trailer. So that summer we were going to go camping. So we liked to camp as a family and we sold our pop-up trailer for like $3,000 so that I could pay for some of my treatments. And I felt so guilty. I was like, I am taking memories away from my children. This is awful. I can't believe I'm doing this to them. This is, I'm a horrible human being. And then I stopped myself because that's, that's a story that we tell ourselves from a place of guilt, right? Oh, I feel guilty. Therefore, I won't do it. And I stopped myself and I said, Heather, by taking this action and selling this trailer, what are you going to gain? I'm like, well, I'm going to be able to reinvest in my health, which is therefore going to keep me here on this earth, in this body, or, or it might not, but at least I'm willing to try and I'm willing to do that gamble. Um, and I'll be able to create memories, more memories with my children. And so I don't have to 
you know, go camping to do that. We can pitch a tent in the backyard or we can go on another adventure. But that was an example of where I needed to prioritize myself in order to be able to give back to my family. And this drastically shifted how I parented because before my business was all circled around teaching children mindfulness and meditation. And then after this, um, I realized that a lot of the parents that were coming to me would say, I don't have the time to implement these tools. Heather, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't know what I want out of life. And I realized the connection, I keep saying I realize a lot, (laughs) the connection between how a mother feels, and I say mother because I only work with women, how a mother feels and how her house functions, the ecosystem, the energy, the culture of her home, and the direct correlation between her mental health and the child's mental health. Not saying our children can still struggle because mine do. They're three very different boys, but I can be present. And now I can say, what do you need? Rather than me projecting all of my anger onto them and me saying, stop yelling while I'm yelling at them or, you know, if they're all hyper, me going, sit down, sit down, because I can't manage the stress and anxiety that their behavior is causing me. So there's big, big shifts that I've had in my parenting. But now it's more of like, how do I want my children to remember me rather than, you know, thinking from a micro scale, of how do I get my child to listen to me? And um, oh, you didn't get an A++ on your report card. I want my children to become good people. I don't just want them to be able to, you know, check off certain boxes. Yeah, I think that's a big trap for a lot of us is that falling into that idea of thinking like our kids' behavior is a reflection on us and being so um, conscious of that and overly cautious of that. Um, And and I know a lot of that, like you mentioned a little bit earlier, it all goes back to our own childhood and how we were raised. Uh, I'm curious for you, like how did that, how did your own childhood really manifest in your own belief system as an adult? How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) So as... As a child, um, I definitely went into parenting overcompensating because my the story I was telling myself is I never want my children to feel the way that I did as a child, which is part of why I do what I do today. I never want my children to know that, you know, they're alone. I want my children to know that they can come to me with anything, even if I don't want to hear it. Um, that I will never be mad at them for being themselves. So whoever they turn out to be, um, that my expectations of them should not stop them from doing something that they want to do. So I'm like, oh, you need to do this or, oh, that would, this would be a great idea. Uh, if they want to join the circus and that's what their soul is craving, go for it. I just want them to be happy. But when I came into parenting, I was overcompensating. I was trying to be that quote unquote perfect mother. I was young um, and I felt like my parents just weren't emotionally there for me. So I wanted I wanted to be that for my kids. But then slowly, I just have to like unravel these stories. And I've also had to forgive my parents for so many years. It was like, oh, must be nice, must be nice. Or, you know, you were never there for me. Why won't you be there for me now? But I really had to forgive and I had to trust of, um, you know, they're doing the best that they can today still, even if they drive me nuts, they're doing the best that they can with what they have. And I think that's what we are all doing. We're all doing the best that we can. And at the core of it, we need to learn how to feel good enough because there are many mistakes that I make on a daily basis. And I'm sure there's still things that I will do that screw up my children. But this ideology of perfection, um, I don't know where it came from. I think it's constructed by the ego. And then we get wrapped up in parenting and then marketing gets involved. And we're like, oh, we need to buy all the latest and greatest for our children. And then cultural expectations that our children need to be busy. And then we wonder why our children are stressed out. And then we wonder why we can't cope. And so it's just this ever perpetuating thing. But again, I always go back to how do I want to feel in my everyday life and then designing a life from that place and parenting from that place. Yeah, that's such a great point. This podcast is brought to you by Steady MD. 
I've been using this company for the past year and I love them. Here's how it works. Instead of having a primary doctor that you have to make an appointment to see, wait for hours in the office to visit, you can now have your doctor available whenever you need him or her through your phone. SteadyMD has a staff of doctors who are available via call, text, or video chat whenever you need them so they respond quickly and they already know your medical history. You get paired with a single doctor so you can work with them as a long-term partner for your health. They're well-versed in lab testing, preventative health, and functional medicine, and they are great for those random, obscure, off-hours medical questions so you don't have to run to urgent care. You can check them out and see if they are right for you by visiting SteadyMD.com forward slash WM. That's S-T-E-A-D-Y-M-D.com forward slash WM. They do have limited spots available, so I check them out quickly if you're interested. This podcast is brought to you by Soul Organics. These are some of my favorite sheets in the world, and here's why. We spend about a third of our life sleeping, so our sleep environment is a really big deal. And that is why I prioritize organic sheets and bedding and organic pajamas for my kids. Because some kinds of bedding can contain plastic fibers and even pesticide residue from non-organic natural fibers. But Soul Organics uses 100% fair trade organic cotton to make super soft, luxurious sheets at an affordable price. They also donate $7.50 to charity with every purchase made on their site. And right now, they are offering a special deal just for listeners of this podcast. You can get 20% off of your purchase plus free shipping in the U.S. by using the code wellness20, all lowercase, wellness20 at soulorganics.com forward slash wellnessmama. And that is spelled S-O-L-O-R-G-A-N-I-X.com forward slash wellnessmama. And make sure to use that code wellness20 to save 20%. So another thing you talk about on your site and also a little bit in your TED Talk that I know that other moms are going to want to hear about is more in depth on that tantrum issue because I feel like every kid has gone through that at some point. Every mom has been there at some point and I feel like you have a really unique perspective here. So can you kind of delve into the tantrum side of things as a parent and what you've learned about that through your experience? Yes. So give me an example of a tantrum and then I can play it out for them. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So maybe that three to four year old age range when they're either told to do something and they don't want to. And so it's the, I don't want to and no, or they want something and you tell them no. And it's the, I want it or the common ones that I see. Yeah. So, okay. So everyone's always like, Oh, the terrible twos, the three major. Oh, now I have a teenager. It's like, well, is there ever a perfect time to be a parent? There's always going to be an additional phase that they're jumping into. So in my background in um, children's mental health and developmental uh, child development, what I was learning was a lot of psychology and what I was seeing was labeling, right? So we categorize people. Oh, this child has this. This child has that. Oh, that child's just behavioral. Oh, they have this type of personality. And I'm like, great. Just because I'm Heather and female and this and that doesn't solve my problems. So what I try to teach people is what are the tools and strategies that we can use to understand a child's behavior? So first, a child's behavior is speaking to you. It is a language. If you put a piece of tape over your mouth and did not talk all day, you would be able to observe, understand what your child's behavior is telling you just by observing them through their behavior. So when a child says, no, 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 you know, understand even at a small age, they're trying to get some sense of control. A lot of children with sensory processing and, you know, spectrums and all of these things and human beings, we try to control outward things because we feel out of control internally. And it's okay to give people flexibility. So the first concept I always introduce is red, green, and yellow zones. So right now I'm in a green zone. I feel great. I'm excited. I enjoy having these conversations. A yellow zone will be kind of when I'm getting tired. I'm like, ooh, yeah, my energy's starting to drop. I know what my yellow zone is. Nine out of 10 people do not know what their own yellow zone is or their child's yellow zone. So my child's yellow zone, for example, three boys, all very different yellow zones. Um, but if, you know, one child, we actually let him stay up longer than typical, that's his yellow zone. He's going to enter his red zone very quickly 
uh, and then it's just going to be a slippery slope. So you can see he's getting a little agitated. You know, there's it's just observing those behaviors in your child and understanding what is their yellow zone. Um, and then the red zone is when the child is actually screaming at you. They're having a full blown tantrum attack wherever it is, public, private. And this is the moment where you're going to have a volcano erupting inside of you. This is where you need to trigger your own coping strategies. And if you don't have any, you need to get some ASAP because this is where the blame game starts. This is when you start shaming your child. This is when you start, you know, disciplining and taking everything away. If you don't listen to me, if you don't stop right now, I'm putting you on timeout and I'm taking away your electronics for a year. Well, part of the problem is you need to take away your child's electronics because their brain is on overload. So what you need to do, especially if you're operating from a crisis or um, a survival mode, you're constantly going to be in your own red zone. So what you need to do is identify and go, okay, in a red zone, and I will, I, I mean, I could talk about this forever and I teach this in my Teach Your Kids to Meditate um, program, but in a child's red zone, you cannot solve any problems. So if your child is tantruming and you can tell, do not say, stop yelling at me, go on timeout. You need to just get them in a safe zone. So if they're kicking and screaming, you're like, okay, take away other people so that they're not kicking those people. Let the child calm down. If you have to, and I actually say don't use force on the child because that's just going to make it worse because then they're just going to kick back. They might bite. But just walk away if you can, depending on the child's age. Walk away. If you're in a store, oh my goodness, I've, you know, we all seen it in the store where the parent is screaming and yelling at the child to stop and the child won't stop. Just physically take the child's hand or pick up the child and leave the store. Yep, leave your groceries in the middle of the aisle. Um, the child is in a red zone. Remember, a child is learning how to self-regulate. So we have to learn how to cope with these strategies and be embarrassed at the same time because that's exactly what's happening. But what the aim is, is once you get to understand your kids more, routine, boundaries, um, coping strategies, you're going to end up living more in your yellow and your green zones. And that's where you have to do the daily practices. That's where you have to, you know, do your own eating, your own uh, lifestyle shifts. And once you do that, you don't enter the red zone as much. So I talk a lot about um, on the podcast, I'm starting to talk about it a little bit of a yelling um no yelling summer, meaning just observing how often we're yelling at our kids. And I haven't been keeping track, but I do know we went on a week long vacation where we were stuck in a, and I say stuck, we weren't stuck. We were in an RV together. It was me, my husband and our three kids. Um, and I did not yell once I got upset once and I was getting a little frustrated, but I diffused it very quickly. And for me, that's like a game changer because I used to be a very angry, angry parent. So, um, yeah, there's I mean, there's a lot tied up into that question and I could literally talk about it forever. But I find that the red, green and yellow zones is a good indicator for people of where am I? You know, well, I don't even understand what zone I'm in. And I'm trying to solve all my life problems and my child's behavior in the red zone. And I never actually live in my green zone. And that's kind of the cultural epidemic of parenthood. That's such a good point. And I feel like you're so right about when you get in that like stressed out your own red zone and you're at your own limit. And that's when you're like, why did you do that? Or you're yelling or you're making unreasonable consequences that you don't actually even want to carry out because they're as much of a punishment for you as a child. Um, but it's easy, I think, for parents to fall into that. I'm certainly not shaming or guilting anyone for that. I've been there too. But I'm curious. So part of it, I get totally like working on ourselves and working through that and acknowledging things like probably our lives, our minds have never been changed by someone yelling at us and telling us we were doing it wrong. And the same is certainly true for children. So then once you've removed from the red zone and you've worked on your your own anger and your own temper, um, what are some of the ways that you can then apply a more positive and mindful parenting when they're more in the green and yellow? Yes. Yeah, so I always say return back to the conversation when you're both in your green zone. Sometimes this takes a really long time with a stubborn child or a stubborn parent. Um, this is not a one and done thing. This is a mindset shift. So example, depending on the child's abilities and, you know, emotional intelligence and cognitive, but even a small child will understand what you're talking about. So let's just say I take my five-year-old, for example, and he has a tantrum in the grocery store. And um, 
I remove him. We go back home. I'm like, hey, honey, grocery shopping did not happen today. We need to get it ordered or I got to go back by myself. We're ordering a pizza for dinner. It's just not happening. He's like, okay, whatever. And then when my son is, you know, he's had his pizza, life is good. I see he's happy. He's playing again. I'm going to say, hey, honey, what happened in the grocery store? And he might go, oh, I was so angry. He might tell you what he was feeling or he might shut down and go, I don't know. I don't know. But the point is that you return back to it because culturally we teach our children that emotions are bad, that feelings are bad, and they're not. They're just feelings. And it's called emotional intelligence, right? Being able to control yourself emotionally. So understand that this is something that children will learn as they grow. But I always say, come back to it. And you will learn so much about your child through that process. So a lot of my clients will learn that their child actually is a very sensitive child. And you don't necessarily need a diagnosis. So the first thing people do is they run to the doctors and they go, what's wrong with my kid? What's wrong with my kid? But they're not changing any of their approaches. They're not changing how they talk to their children. They're not changing their energy. They're not changing the lifestyle because there's so much chaos in the house. And they're not realizing that that chaos, that energy, even clutter in a child's bedroom can affect their health and how they feel in that space. It's like put yourself in the child's shoes. Do you feel gross when you're in a state of clutter? Of course you do. So they have anger, they have anxiety, and they just don't know how to express it. So going back and asking your child, what's up? What are you doing? Um, you know, what was that? And just being very curious and conversational with them will open your eyes and they might go, I don't know. They might not know. And most likely they won't know, but your child might be very sensitive and um, realizing that that is part of who they are. So then you have to kind of intervene and say, how can I create more space for my child to just be? One thing I noticed today, we're um, on summer here, so all three boys are home, and my mom took them for a night, and she dropped them off today, and my youngest is highly introverted and barely talks, like he's so quiet, and he loves Legos, and he loves playing by himself, and he also, you know, loves playing with other people, but he was with his brothers for 48 hours straight, they were in a hotel room. And he came home and the first thing he did was went to his bedroom. So the old me would have went in his room and said, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Come out, come out, come out. And he goes, nothing, mom. I'm just playing. And, and I was like, okay, this child just created his own boundary and went in his room to get some quiet space, had his like stuffed animal. And he was just, you know, playing, imagining because he was overstimulated and he needed space and he needed rest. So if we're not giving these things to ourselves, I always say we are we are our child's greatest teacher. We are their coach. We are their guide. And if we don't have the tool in our own toolbox, we're not going to understand what's going on with our children. Um, every day they're teaching me something else. And, you know, if I have a belief that staying in your room is bad because, in you know, as a child, I've associated that with punishment. My son is isolating himself in his room. I'm like, Oh my gosh, is he, what's wrong with him? Cause it did pop up for a second and then I caught it and he's like, I just, I just need to rest. And I'm like, okay, that's awesome. You can self-regulate. So we really need to ask our kids what's going on inside your body and what's going on inside your mind. And the more we get to know about them, the more we can help them cope. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's an important point that applies across all aspects of our life and parenting, especially, but um, I feel like, it, at least from my perspective, a lot of times we kind of, we don't give kids enough credit and we don't understand how much they're capable of understanding and working through and um, being educated on. I know from my background in nutrition, that's one thing I tell parents a lot is we underestimate kids so often and how much they can understand about nutrition and how they can actually make great choices when we give them the building blocks to do that. And we instead assume that they just um, want to eat chicken nuggets and pizza and that's the only thing on kids menus and then we're timid as parents to offer them anything different because that's what the expectation is and I feel like the same is true in parenting we're, we sometimes underestimate how emotionally capable they can be or at least if we let them and give them the building blocks how they can work through that and I think that um, respectful and mindful parenting is how we would want to be 
talk to if we were upset. And it's only logical that we should do the same for our children. But I know one of the follow-up questions that may be on some people's minds are, um, like, that's great. We Okay, so don't talk to them. Don't work through that stuff when everybody's upset. That's a great lesson. But how do you get them to do the things they do need to do um, when they are in the green zone and they have chores and they're resisting that kind of stuff? What are you, What's your approach there? Boundaries and expectation and rules and respect. So bound, following through with a boundary is key. So example of my, it's summertime. If I want to get to get like I'm manipulating him, but if one of the rules in our home is to tidy your room, right? Some other people might say that's not an issue here. I've co-created a lot with my children, meaning like, Hey bud, you're not just sitting around all day doing nothing what are you going to do this summer? Let's come up with a plan. So we came up with a morning routine, right? Morning routine was you get out of bed. I'm not going to push you out of bed, but you're definitely not sleeping until noon. Uh, you don't really have a lot of access to your phone or other electronics, but if you do want some access, you have to get up, you have to take a shower, brush your teeth. You have to eat because he won't eat. Um, and then you have to do a chore and then you can have access to your phone. The reason why I use the phone for the access is because that is the only currency that he is motivated by. He's not motivated by much else and most teens are only motivated by screen time currency. So that's what we utilize. For smaller children, it's more of holding that boundary and being in that state and owning the discomfort that the child is experiencing. So holding space for that child while they're dealing with their own resistance. So Katie, tell me one thing you've done that you've resisted, but you had to get it done. Oh gosh. Uh, let's see. Every time I have to go, like the laundry gets backed up and there's like nine loads and I don't want to do it. Yeah. And, but you have to get it done. Right. And you have this like physical response, this mental response and like you have probably a little tantrum going on in your brain, right? Oh, totally. I think, yeah, the, the total mom tantrum. And then you're going to catch up and it's going to be done for 12 seconds anyway. Yes. So, but you realize what this resistance looks like in your body. So a lot of tantrums that our children have are actually just resistance. And in order to push through that, we have to get ourselves really uncomfortable. So if I say to my eight-year-old, okay, you know, what do you want your chore to be? And he's like feeding the dogs. Great. Awesome. Okay. It comes time, time to feed the dogs. And then he's doing his like Oscar winning cry, right? Like, poor me. I don't want to do it. And it's just hilarious. He can turn it on and off just like that. And I'm becoming non-reactive. So I'm sitting there, we've practiced it. I'm like, Oh, here it comes. Now I just expect it that he'll have his little show. Sometimes he doesn't anymore though. And I just ignore it. And I go, cool. Awesome. It's time to feed the dogs. Don't want to feed the dogs. We don't move on to the next step. You don't get computer time. You don't get whatever, you know, we're not going to be able to go swimming. So it's like, you can resist it all day. You know, you can sleep in all day if you want, but you're never going to get that phone. You didn't do the chore today. So no, you're not going to be able to text your friends. So it's like allowing your child to take responsibility for some of their actions and really holding that boundary and helping them co-create what it is that they want to do. So instead of being so controlling and like, do this, do this, do this, do this, go, well, what would you like to do? How can we work this out together? And of course, it's age appropriate. I love that word, co-create. And in our family, we've done a little bit similar of an approach. And we have a family manifesto that we came up with together that kind of just talks about the things that we all believe and love in our family and how we approach conflict and how we work together. And part of that is that we all share the responsibility of living in the household because it's not that like I am the like innkeeper for these seven other people who live in my house. They all live here too. We're all contributing. And so, like you said, there's expectations that come with that and chores that are part of that. And I don't get paid or bribed or in any way, um, you know, taught to do those chores. I have to just cook because everybody needs to eat and it is what it is. And it's part of being the family. And um, I feel like with my kids, one thing that's been really helpful in that is just respecting their independence for one. We have a one part of our manifesto is that we don't do things for our kids that they're capable of doing themselves because we respect them as autonomous children and that they can do it. Um, and then the other part of that is that they are required to contribute and we let natural consequences kind of come in 
without us yelling or screaming, but natural consequences. So for instance, everybody of my kids from five years up, so not the baby, but the rest of them can do their own laundry. So I don't do their laundry. And if they run out of clothes, it's a perfect natural consequence because they have nothing to wear. Things like that. I don't have to yell. When they're out of clothes, it's like, well, why are you out of clothes? Did you do your laundry? And then that's a lesson that's easier than me teaching or yelling or you know, nagging or bribing them to do it, they learn themselves. And that's a perfect example for adulthood because what happens if I don't do my laundry? I don't have clothes. So that's how we've kind of worked it in our family. And it seems like you guys are doing a very similar thing as far as like, and not that I'm perfect at it, but trying to keep your cool, trying to work with them and let them understand we're part of this amazing thing, this family together. Um, but part of that is there's expectations. And when you don't do that, the family unit suffers. And here's why. So another one would be if they don't do their dishes after a meal and put them in the dishwasher or wash them, then I can't cook the next meal because there's no dishes, things like that. And those are the lessons I feel like that are so applicable to adulthood because adults, we face that every day the consequences of naturally of our actions if we don't do what we're supposed to do. So I love that you brought that up as well. Yeah. And I think it's just little subtle things like that where people are forced. I mean, if we got in a longer conversation about the epidemic of anxiety and depression among teens and college people, um, it's because they don't have the life coping skills. And I hear this all the time from colleagues who work with children entering college, like the the parental stress that's on them to get these grades, but yet they don't even know how to wipe their own ass or do their own laundry. They don't, and then they go out, you know, to university or they don't know how to cook for themselves. And that's not healthy, right? Like you don't have any fuel in your system. No wonder why you're overwhelmed and burnt out. So too often we think we need to put all of this on our plate as parents, but what we don't realize is we're actually doing our children a huge disservice. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I've had other podcast guests who said the same thing that like we were acquiring so much more of our kids academically or in these areas where people see that externally, their behavior, but we're not requiring the things that previous generations just had to do that was never even a big deal. You just helped around the house. You just did these things. Um, And we're not requiring that as much. And the other part of that that several experts have mentioned is we're also not letting them Um, and it sounds like you are, but we're not letting them be kids and have these normal childhood experiences that are not in front of a screen that involve climbing trees and building forts and playing outside and taking calculated risks. So we learn what our boundaries are before we're adults and then we're in college and we have no self-regulation and we have to then try to figure that out in a very public adult way with people watching. So I think that's such an important point. I'm so glad you brought that up. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you have to be really rock solid in your core. And what I mean by that is I'm always scared. I'm always, you know, worried or afraid, or I have guilt that comes up and fear. I have all of these human emotions, just like everybody else when it comes to parenting. But the thing is, I just keep saying, this is good enough. This is good enough. Right. And we don't need to be like everybody else. We need to ask ourselves what works for us, what works for our family. And you know, every home is an ecosystem. Every home is a culture. Absolutely. I think mom guilt and parenting shame, I think they're rampant right now because we, in a social media world, we see everybody else's best face and we project that on ourselves. And I think for, at least for me, the antidote to that has been reminding myself that my kids are autonomous. They have free will. And while I'm here to guide them and be a big part of their lives right now. I can't control them for one, and I shouldn't be trying. And not every single thing they do is a direct reflection on me, just like I did as a kid. They're going to make mistakes and they're going to have bad moods and they're going to work through these things. And that doesn't mean that I'm a bad parent. Um, of course, there's always ways I can work to support them better, but that isn't something I need to internalize. And I think that's a big step for a lot of people and it's hard. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not perfect at it, but just realizing that they are autonomous and then their own person, it helps kind of alleviate some of that mom guilt. Oh, for sure. And, and then you get to this place where you feel like, wow, parenting feels easy. And yes, there's definitely challenge moments, but I think a lot of us are conditioned that life needs to be hard and we're not allowed to feel good because of what previous generations taught us. And so then you get to this place of this is easy and then you try to overcomplicate it. So it's coming back to how do you want to feel? Allow it to feel easy and it's okay. You don't need to put more on your plate. But when we're in this go, 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 go mindset, then we start to create that perception and reality for our children and then it perpetuates this cycle. Absolutely. And another thing that we say a lot in our family because I feel like it's something that I know intuitively my parents always loved me. I never doubted that, Um, but that I didn't hear verbally in this many words and I make sure to say it to my kids is 
that I love you so unconditionally. There's literally nothing in this whole entire world that you could ever do that would make me love you less. That does not mean that I approve of every decision you make or that you get a free pass by any means. And that doesn't mean you always have my approval, but you can never, never, never do anything that will diminish my love for you, even a tiny bit. Because I feel like that gives them the balance of freedom and responsibility to know like, I am seen, I am loved no matter what, but also I still have responsibilities. And that means that like I am required to pitch in and be part of this and be a good person, but I always have the love at the end. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So as we, I can't believe we're already almost to the end of our time because this has been such a fun conversation. But one thing I love to ask is what are a few things that you feel like about your area of expertise that people maybe don't really understand completely? Hmm. A lot of it they don't understand. <laughs> the difference between a coach and therapy, I would have to say, jumping from the therapy world to coaching. Um, and I would say this in general. And of course, every practitioner is different. There's a different there's a difference between talking about a problem, which we all need to do, and taking action to solve the problem. And coaches in general will typically have a plan or strategy or a blueprint of sorts for you and hold you accountable to creating transformation. So understanding that there's a huge difference between talking about something and acting on it. Ooh, such a great point. Uh, another question I love to ask is if there's a book that has had a particularly big impact on your life or that you love to recommend to others? Um, lots of books, but I would say in the parenting world, um, definitely anything Dr. Shafali has written. Her stuff is very, um, well, it's called The Conscious Parent or The Awakened Family. It's really out there. And what I mean by that is sometimes you need a little more evolution, like conscious evolution to understand what she's saying. And I find a lot of people in the parenting world are looking for that quick fix and you have to realize that it's a journey. It's not a quick fix and not every solution. You know, there's going to have to be twists and turns that work for every solution. But I think she does a really good job um, in understanding that it's okay to parent differently and that there is this conscious movement happening where we don't need to emotionally traumatize our children to get them to listen to us. I love that. And lastly, if there was advice that you could spread far and wide and you'll reach at least a couple hundred thousand people on this podcast, um, what would it be and why? You matter. Your desires are there for a reason. Um, and putting, you know, just saying I need space is probably the greatest gift you will ever give your children because when you are full, when you are present, um, you will get so much further than just putting out fires on a daily basis. Awesome. And where can people find you? Your podcast, I believe, is called Mom is in Control, and they can find that on iTunes? Yeah, the podcast should be everywhere. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Um, and kind of my home online is my website, my name, heatherchauvin.com. So last name spelled C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com. Wonderful. And those links will be in the show notes as well at wellnessama.fm so that people can find you directly. Heather, thank you so much for being here. This was such a fun conversation. And I think the work you're doing is so important. This has been amazing. Thank you, Katie. And thanks to all of you for listening. And I hope to see you again next time on the Healthy Moms Podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.